0: and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
5: Just want to remind you guys that this is just me and Mark telling stories and that nothing that we say here is intended to be medical advice. This is strictly from our point of view as two dads telling the stories of our T1D kiddos.
6: We also want our listeners to know that we try to maintain a perspective, recognizing that whatever Alan and I or our families are dealing with, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans compared to that which our daughters or anyone diagnosed with type 1 diabetes has to contend with on a day-to-day basis. Welcome to Dads and Diabetes, just two dads of T1D kiddos on a podcast trying to figure it all out. And now in 2020, not vision, actual calendar year, uh, my name's Mark. And I'm Alan. Hey, Alan.
5: How's it going, man? Brand new year. Yeah, man. Uh, happy New Year. and Merry Christmas. By the time everybody hears this, I'm hoping you have a great New Year's. So, we are actually yeah,
6: recording this on December the twenty seventh, so we are still basking in the glow of Christmas itself. But yes, as Alan mentioned, when this show drops, it'll be mid
5: January. Um, but anyway, how was your Christmas, my friend? It was good. We had a we had a good time. It was a little odd with with the oldest two gone. So it was a lot quieter than even I expected. Uh, but uh, you know, we we had a really really good Christmas. So it was just new traditions, a new chapter, and uh, everything everything we're Really well. How about y'all? Didn't Leslie try and fill the quiet space with extra chores for you? Yes, always. Always. Okay, good, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, um, yeah. She's always got something for us to do constantly. Keeping you on. So, how was yours?
6: Yeah. It, it how, was good. Your, how was your Christmas? It was good. Yeah. We, we did the short drive. Well, what should be a short drive from Austin to Dallas, which is three, three and a half hours. But anymore, my goodness, Waco has become a parking lot. Uh, you mm. can't get you can't get through that town at all. You have to go around it, and it just adds to the drive. It's become a nightmare. I think it's that TV show. Um, yeah, what Kim suggested. Yeah, that's blowing the place up. But, but anyway, yeah.
5: yep. Chip and Joanna Gaines have they have revitalized that town. And yeah, yeah. One um, one small family. Yep, yep, yep. So that's anyway, insane. yeah. So anyway, we we were three days in Dallas with the with the
6: Outlaws and had a great time. That's um, yeah. great food, you know. Watch some uh, binge, watch some TV shows, play some Texas Hold'em, for, which is always fun. Whoa, so yeah, I, cl- yeah. I cleaned up on that. So uh, if any of my family are listening, I'm, I'm sorry, not sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for uh, you. Yeah, yeah, good time, good time. We're good. How did um, how did Christmas do with the whole blood sugars
5: at your end? No, oh, it, it, it w- really well. Uh, you know, we had, had it planned out, and <clears throat> we do a lot of. Keto dishes and stuff, along with all the traditional things, and you know what we do at Christmas we we tend to have gumbo as our uh, seafood gumbo tends to be our staple Ooh. during Christmas. And I'm sorry, chicken chicken gumbo. My bad. That's a great dish because it's great at the time, but it's also great days later, isn't it? Yeah, it gets better the longer exactly. it sits in the fridge. The better it gets. Yeah, yep, this is exactly right. Yeah, so everything went and it, it stayed very consistent, and we we didn't have any problems. Matter of fact, uh, now. That, it's surprising we um she had a friend call this morning well the mom of a friend called this morning and invited them to go to hot springs I invited her to spend a night with them up there so this is the first time she's really kind of gone off with a friend um uh, that's you know she stayed the night with friends locally but she'll be you know, a couple hours away so we're letting her do that and uh, so she's excited because they have a big christmas light display up there that lasts during the during this final week of December. So So she's sleeping away? She's sleeping away or she's just away for the day? No, she's sleeping away. She's spending the night in a hotel up there in Hot Springs. Wow! So we're, you know, yeah. And and Leslie did did pretty well, and uh, <laughs> we got it planned, got it planned out. Aniston was at and She said she's not going to let her mama worry, so she says she's going to stay on top of it, and and we trust her and I believe she will. Good stuff, man. I look forward to seeing the texts.
6: <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> our listeners only get it to enjoy be... you a couple of times a month, but I'm probably going to get texts <laughs> over the next couple of days. So
5: <laughs> probably, yeah, probably so, probably so.
6: So obviously Christmas time, you know, you you try and eat well and everything, but Christmas is Christmas, man. I mean, there's sugar around, there's cakes, there's pies, there's pastries, there's chocolate. What do you guys, Mm -hmm. does it not like run all over you? Does it not make it that much harder? Because I know it does for us, but we we tend to just let go of the reins. We say, you know what, we're going to do everything we ordinarily do. Which is, we're going to bowl this in advance. We're going to bowl us aggressively. We're just going to try try and stay on top of it, but we're also not going to lose our minds if you go a little higher than than usual because it's Christmas.
5: Yeah, well, yeah. No, she's not going to be deprived of anything. We, but we just try to be smart about mm-hmm. it. If if everybody's having hot chocolate, we we have a sugar free recipe mm-hmm. that we've always used. Um, she has certain desserts that she likes to make that are lower carb. Uh, she likes to cook, so she might. So when she cooks, she cooks lower carb. Items yeah. and and again with the kind of food now th- Thanksgiving is a little bit different than her, and her blood sugars go, can go a little wacky there but during Christmas it's not too bad with with chicken gumbo you don't have it's not a lot of carbs mm-hmm. there very limit almost none uh, she's not a big fan of rice anyway so she doesn't eat the white rice uh, that goes with it um, she instead of using crackers she likes having her chips with it so she has these protein chips that have very little carbs so it's not that she just yeah The quest, so she just stayed along with that same oh man awesome (laughs) so she just used quest chips with her gumbo and went went with it and then desserts again she she did low carb this and that but and she ate oh yeah she ate some bites of stuff here and there just uh just for the fun of it but eh, yeah that she stayed stuck pretty close to what she normally likes to yeah Well, so, so we didn't have really any anything kind of any crazy sugars or anything like we
6: that. We had... Um, Not too bad. We, again, we, 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 we tend to do something similar. I mean, obviously our diets are a little different, but we tend to have at least the same approach to it. But, you know, if I feel like Ella's getting a slice of pie and a large slice of pie and she wants ice cream with that, I'll, you know, I'll say to her, it's Christmas, so I'll say, you know, what would Jesus do? And she'd say, he'd eat this pie. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And she said, a la mode. <laughs> I'm like, <"All> right, <laughs> amen. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah so we had a weird situation as well over christmas island which has nothing to do with food but um folks who listen to the show regularly will know that we moved to the omnipod dash system and uh last night i got ella's new pod full of insulin got it all activated and everything a couple of hours later she goes to bed and i know she's kind of high so i try and set up a temporary basal and i'm not used to the interface I guess enough right now and my big fat thumbs and everything and somehow Alan I managed to hit the option to deactivate the pod. So <laughs> um, all of a sudden I'm jumping like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible style across the bedroom because <laughs> I'm trying to put enough distance between Ella and I so that uh, I don't de- you know finish that action of deactivating the pod cuz I got a full part of insulin
5: Right. Oh gosh. <laughs>
6: oh, it's a nightmare. Uh, so funny. I called Omnipod, and they weren't much help. Unfortunately, they didn't. They weren't sure what to do, and they just said, "You know, can you stay away from the pod?" I'm like, "Well, yeah." Until I need to, you know, use it. But eventually, I went back within range. I hit the try again option rather than deactivate pod, and thank heavens we didn't lose the pod. So uh,
5: we're good deal. You know oh, what to man. do next time for sure. I will. It's crazy, <laughs>
6: crazy, crazy, crazy.
5: <laughs> anyway, um, so you want to tell folks about this episode we have coming up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you went and had some on-site visits with uh, the Barbara Davis Center. Did some interviews with the uh, various staff members. Uh, some exclusive interviews with the uh, uh, Miss, well, the daughter of the founder mm-hmm. of uh, the Barbara Davis Center. So that was very cool. And you had some good personalities, a good mixture, good information for about the future of diabetes, about what's just uh, the history of diabetes, and just uh, some of the personalities and. I think everybody will love this um, I, Personally, i personally really love tavia um i want we want to go and just bring pick her up and take her back home with us to arkansas <laughs> uh she's uh she definitely would be the one that um, I, I hope uh, and I believe this will come across in her interview uh, if if you were just recently diagnosed- have a child recently diagnosed and you walk into that center and if she's the one that greets you you automatically feel like you know what everything's gonna be okay Mm. that's the that's the feeling we got seriously that's what came across in your interview so i thought i thought you did a really good job
6: oh thanks man i appreciate it. it was as folks are gonna hear it was definitely i mean i cry at the drop of a hat when it comes to this whole subject matter i can't help myself and i was trying to rein it in but it was certainly an emotional visit for me um but i was so it was such a privilege to be able to do it and um uh, you're right. The folks that got lined up for us were incredible. And what occurred to me, Alan, after I left was, you know, we've got such a range of people covering such a range of uh, jobs and responsibilities. I think I think folks are going to enjoy hearing from everybody, but I think there's going to be at least one person that everybody really kind of connects with who they, you know, who really resonates for them or who they have a, a like person in their own life, right? For you guys, it was Tavia, but I think everybody's going to gravitate to somebody that I talk to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. yeah. Well, I'm ready to hear it. All right, man. Let's roll it. So I'm driving into the Barbara Davis Center here in uh, Denver, Colorado. It's kind of weird actually to be to be back here specifically. Uh, being in Denver is something I do with work all the time, but driving onto this campus, it's, uh, it, it is a campus. It shares a plot of land with the University of Colorado. Um, and so it's a, a little city here, but driving on is, um, it's weird. It's a grey, rainy day in Colorado. Hopefully this won't turn to snow, I'm supposed to be flying out this afternoon, so... um, But it's really odd to be here. Uh, Mixed memories. I still, even two years on, can remember the first time we pulled in here to take Ella for her initial visit directly from the hospital in Colorado Springs after she had been diagnosed and spent the weekend in hospital. Um... But I remembered every visit since. I wasn't involved in many of them. My wife Kim did most of those visits, but I was here for a few of them. And uh remembered visiting with the endo, remembered reading some of the literature that was in the reception area. I'll try to take some pictures of that as well and put them on our Facebook page. Um yeah mixed emotions that's for sure um very grateful very grateful for these incredible people for this incredible group of staff and everything they did for for ella but um you know it's difficult maybe we'll cover this in a future episode you're always so grateful for the t1d community and particularly medical folks and all of the support that they give us to ensure that our kids can be healthy and safe but you never want to be part of this community I mean, this is not something you wish to be a part of. Um, so, yeah, it feels. I still have that feeling of inescapability, if that's a word, driving onto this onto this campus for the first time and realising that this was our life now. This would be always a part of something Ella had to deal with and something we would be supporting. And, uh, yeah, it's it's an odd sensation. But... Again, still very grateful to have these people, to have these experts uh, dedicated to supporting my kid, all of our kids who are dealing with T1D. So anyhow, with that said, I'm now in the parking lot. I'm going to go in and uh, get these interviews going. So I'm joined here by Dr. Robert Slover. Uh, Dr. Slover, can you please tell our listeners your position here at the Barbara Davis Center and just give us a brief overview of some of your responsibilities?
3: Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm the Director of Pediatrics at the Barbara Davis Center Um, and in my mind it's the most wonderful position in the world. I've been involved in pediatric diabetes for well over 40 years um, and have seen the incredible changes that we have um, made as we've been able to do better and better care for children. Uh, But my responsibilities include uh, overseeing the work of about 85 people. Uh, We have 12 physicians. All of our physicians are academic people. They have university appointments. They all do some research and they also all do cl- some clinical work. Uh, so we have that group and then we have uh, advanced practice providers, nurse practitioners, and one physician assistant who primarily see patients and do clinical work. Uh, we have a, a core of nurse educators, dietitians, social workers, uh, and and then an entire uh, part of my job is uh, leading the research that's done, the clinical research in pediatrics. The Barbara Davis Center has a bench research section, uh, which is very strong and, and very uh, prominently known. But we also do c- clinical trials with patients uh, in, in pretty much all of the areas of diabetes. Um, so... I manage the money. I do other things like that. But but the fun part is that I still see patients and and can take the research I'm doing and that we're doing together and apply it almost day by day to the patients that we see.
6: Fantastic. Well, that's yeah, certainly a comprehensive role that you have there. And that's actually one of my questions for you. You touched on the fact that BDC, I wanted to just say BDC, because if I keep saying the Barbara Davis Center, my interviews are going to run long by about 20 minutes. Um, BDC appears to be a treatment center, but also a teaching and learning facility, uh, and also a research center as well. How do these components dovetail together and complement one another?
3: I think that that's really what makes it exciting to be here. Um, the basic science research, which is headed by Dr. Laurie Sussell here, Uh, is involved in immunology and beta cell biology, very uh, basic things that we hope will lead to biologically understanding and curing this disease. Uh, But at the same time, that becomes foundational for us to do clinical research. And clinical research might, for example, be uh, taking some of the things they've done and and adapting them in trials with patients to see if we can prolong the honeymoon period or prolong uh, the time until a child develops diabetes. So So then we've moved it to the clinical realm. With the clinical research we do then is transitional and moves to development of commercialized products that eventually help people so for instance we've been involved here all the way from the very first pumps and glucose monitoring continuous glucose monitoring sensors to the closed loop uh, systems the the, quote artificial pancreas uh, and we continue to be involved very involved in in a variety of things that have have effect for our patients. And so it, it moves right into the clinical arena. And then the clinical people uh, become very excited, they're our patients, and they often beg to be part of the clinical research. And so they have a real interest in the research that we're doing. It, it, it all ties together very nicely.
6: I was telling our listeners on the drive onto the campus, and I kind of consider this a campus because, of course, you share space here with the University of Colorado, but I've never been sure what's the relationship with the University of Colorado?
3: We actually are an independent institute under the uh, University of Colorado, specifically under the dean's office at the University of Colorado. So, Yes, so uh, we are financially independent in in the sense that we have to balance our budget every year, but uh, we rely upon the cl- money generated in clinical care, money from research grants and proposals, and also uh, the generosity of uh, donors. Uh, we have a foundation, which Barbara and Marvin Davis started some 40 years ago, uh, and that foundation also provides some financial support, um, but we do not receive state money. Um, and we receive some small amount of support from Children's Hospital and the university. We are all university faculty members. Mm-hmm. We all are privileged at Children's Hospital and many of us at the university hospital. So we're, we're very much a part of the whole campus, um, but technically we are an independent institute.
6: Where do you see T1D treatments going in the future? What do you feel is the most promising uh, aspects of the work you're doing, whether it be around genetics, or around medicine, or around tech, all of the above, I'm assuming. But yeah, what do you see the most exciting advancements coming maybe here in the next few years? Well, I think the, the,
3: the advancements that we're seeing that are moving the most quickly and will uh, be of great benefit to patients the earliest are the technology advancements. Uh, so that we uh, now are able to put people on uh closed-loop systems, that is systems that monitor their blood sugar minute by minute and then tell an insulin pump how much insulin to deliver minute by minute, Uh, the idea being that we're imitating the pancreas. All of that system has developed because we first had excellent pump development and now we've had excellent continuous glucose monitor development. And then the piece in the middle is the mathematic algorithm, which we... I personally understand on a sort of subjective level, but not. I don't pretend to understand all the math involved. At any rate, I think that's where we're going to see much improvement. We've already seen a dramatic decrease in low blood sugars Mm and hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. We have seen uh, an increase in time and range. Uh, and we now cons- are concerned not just with hemoglobin A1C, which is sort of the gold standard of glucose control, but with time and range, uh, and then also with how much variability a child has from day to day. So we we are now honing in on that. That is what we're seeing now, and we'll see it will be in the spotlight for the next few years. Nevertheless, down the road there is finally a, a study that is has been effective in adults in prolonging the honeymoon in other words saving beta cells for a longer period of time and in people who have are going to develop diabetes but have not yet actually delaying the onset of diabetes this people have been doing this kind of research for 40 years or at least 35 and this is the first time there really is have they really have found something that is effective It's now being studied in children, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's on the market in another couple of years uh, Then the next steps will be to continue the biology uh, and and there's been a lot of progress in creating. Uh, beta cells out of stem cells and, and other organ yeah. cells, uh, and then there's a lot of work going on into, as to how to put them back and protect them from immune destruction. Right. So I believe that within 10, or, 10 years or so, 10 or 15, we will in fact see ways of replacing beta cells and letting people live, in effect, without diabetes. The final step, someday, we hope, would be to understand the immune system enough to, to catch it in advance. Yeah,
6: yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. I mean, I'm sat here with my fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I know our listeners will be certainly wishing for those advancements, so um, I don't know Barbara Davis leads the way in that. And so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, what do you think the X factor is as it relates to Barbara Davis? Why do you think BDC has such a good reputation nationally and internationally?
3: I think it's a combination of several fortuitous events. Uh, first of all, the the Davis family uh, were very generous in, in uh, and, and were fortunate to have money that when their child developed diabetes, they could devote a good deal of money to setting up a foundation and setting up the Barbara Davis Center. Um, that was the beginning. We have been uh, extremely fortunate in our leadership. Uh, Dr. George Eisenbarth, who was the executive director but unfortunately died of pancreatic cancer a few years ago, uh, won the Banting Medal, for the, which is a lifetime research award of the American Diabetes Association. Internationally known, and we have internationally known researchers in in all areas. Mm. We also have an extremely large patient population, mm. and maybe that's because we are out here in the West, and 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 centers are few and far between. <laughs> and so, we see about eighty five percent of all the type one diabetes in the state of Colorado. Uh, and we have about 4,000 patients. We also see patients from other states and other nations. In fact, we have kind of a worldwide practice, mm-hmm. but primarily regional. So with 4,000 patients, we're in a, a pretty obvious go-to site for s- studies mm-hmm. uh, because we can enroll for studies very quickly uh, since we have such a large patient base. Um, we also have an extremely active quality improvement uh, program that has become nationally known and, uh, and has helped other centers around the world uh, develop better ways of taking care of kids with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a, a vibrant telemedicine program because, again, with these large distances, we can't travel everywhere, but we do see patients uh, by telemedicine. Th- throughout the region, in Wyoming and Colorado, and we see quite a few patients from uh, western Kansas, Nebraska, Arizona, Utah even. And mm. So it's, it's a fortuitous combination of things. And I would like to think also because we have extraordinarily devoted people yeah. who are very bright and very compassionate and very devoted to the families they serve.
6: Yeah, when we can certainly say firsthand, that was our experience. Um, when we left the hospital down in Colorado Springs, they said to us, you know, a silver lining to this cloud is that the premier children's diabetes centre in the United States happens to be just up the road, right? Uh, Barbara Davison in, in Denver. And um, yeah, we came to experience that for ourselves firsthand. And certainly you can't thank your staff enough for the support they gave our family and my daughter in particular. Final question for you. What's your, personally, what's your favorite part of working at the Barbara Davis Center?
3: Thank you. I uh, there, I have two favorite things. I, I'm getting on <laughs> in, in age. Um, and I've had a long career. I absolutely love the patients I see. Uh, the science is wonderful. The research is wonderful. But I love the patients I see and being able to help them. And... And because this is a long-term illness, a chronic care illness, I have—I actually have families where I saw a child, and that child is now a grandparent. Mm. I've seen—I love to watch these kids grow up, succeed, and enter adult life, uh, doing wonderfully well. The second thing I love is the people I work with. I cannot imagine a better group of people to work with. Than we have here. Yeah. Those are my two favorite things.
6: Anyone who listens to our podcast regularly knows it takes nothing to make me tear up. And I'm on <laughs> the brink of it right now. Um, fantastic answer. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Slover. really appreciate you and all you do here at thank,
3: Davis. Thank you very much. Appreciate meeting you.
5: This portion of the podcast brought to you by Glucose Revival. Did you know that 75% of EMTs cannot give glucagon and that those 75% use glucagon gel instead. Additionally, did you know that 90% of gels on the market are for endurance athletes, which means they don't kick in for nearly 20 to 40 minutes? The Thrive and Thrive Junior necklaces by Glucose Revival enable T1Ds, or those supporting them, to get quick access to fast-acting, potentially life-saving glucose. To learn more about their unique necklaces, and about why their T1D founder created them, check out glucoserevival.com. Again, that's glucose revival, all one word, glucoserevival.com.
6: So I am truly delighted right now to be joined by Dr. Andrea Gerard Gonzalez, um, who I'm going to ask her obviously to introduce herself here in just a second, but I'll tell you that she was Ella's first endo. She's been um, the person that Kim and Ella have been meeting with most over the last year and a half, So, uh, Dr. Gerard González, tell us, if you would, your position and a little about what you do here at BDC.
7: Of course, it's my pleasure to contribute to this podcast, which is amazing. My name, again, is Sandra Gerard González. I'm one of the Pediatric Endocrinologists at the Barbara Davis Center. I've been here for six years. I was born and raised and did med school back in Mexico City. You you have an accent? Yes! (laughs) You don't notice?
6: (laughs) Everyone notice. (laughs) You and I together right now. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. Um... You know I when I did med school in Mexico uh, I got my heart was taken by a diabetes patient that was living in the indigenous communities when I doing my social service and the family is there they don't even speak Spanish so that patient they didn't understand what was going on and they were just gonna wait for him to die and I was by myself just brand new junior just graduated doctor and I had to convince them to allow me to help this kid take him to the hospital. And I had to change my whole overview of what a doctor needs to do and just, you know, try to get them to agree with me, not doing it my way, just to save someone they need to understand, you know, using religious things. So I knew very early in my life that I wanted to do diabetes and I wanted to help kids. So my main interest and my area of research is actually like um, kind of trying to get the disparities in diabetes care away. So my main research is in minorities, and of course, you know, there's a large Spanish-speaking population that I have a special program to help them um, because, you know, the the data that we got when I started, there was a lot of disparities in in outcomes and care. So Mm. that's, I'm a passionate doctor and clinician.
6: Yeah, you certainly are, we can speak to that firsthand. (laughs) So um, when our family came to the Barbara Davis Center now, two years ago, um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, It was the most terrifying time in our life and, um, you know, so much anxiety, so much fear. Uh, You did an incredible job of kind of helping us realize, you know, that this is okay. We can deal with this. You you guys are going to be okay. Um, When newly diagnosed families show up at BDC and like us, they're scared and they're disorientated, what's your number one priority the first time you meet with them?
7: So I just want everyone to know that my heart breaks still every single time I get a new diagnosis. It's not an easy task. I think that's why we can handle one week at a time of being, you know, on service and call because we do have our heart there. So and as a mom, I have six year old twins. I, I just can't imagine what, you know, especially I get very anxious before I can get to you guys because I'm like, I don't know what they're Googling and what they're hearing and <laughs> how terrified they are or the experience at the hospital might be you know extremely you know you know heartbreaking and scary so i always start by introducing myself and i say two things always is i know this has been very scary and the one thing i want you to remember if you forget everything else i forgive you it's okay but the one thing you can never forget is that everything is going to be okay he or she is going to be happy healthy boy happy healthy girl we're going to teach you through it how to do it i'm not saying it's easy i say but it's going to be okay, and they're going to be okay, and you guys are going to be okay. And the second thing I, I bring up is, okay, so I ask them, can you promise me that, that you believe me that everything is going to be okay? And then the second most important thing I say is, now that you heard that, you should be more calm. The second most important thing is it's nobody's fault. There's nothing you could have done or that you did wrong that caused this. So I think those are the two things that for me are priority on day one is making them understand that if we do it right, things are going to go great. And it's not an easy journey, but we're here to support. So, you know, families feel that kind of this is a team effort. You're going to have us along the way, especially at the beginning to learn all these new things. And then there's always guilt. You know, there's always that what if, what if, what if we noticed this before? Like, how can we miss this? Like, is is always there? Like I know it's there, so yeah. I need to tell them let go of that and let's move on.
6: Yeah, I'm. <clears throat> my, my emotions are riding right the circle <laughs> right now because you're just saying this. Everything is coming back to you, man. I remember mm-hmm. you go through that process with us. One other thing I, I remember as well, and I wanted to show you on my phone, but I've changed jobs since then, and so I've changed phones, and so I don't have this picture readily to hand. But I was taking pictures the day we met of everything you put on the whiteboard. That's right. She just uh, Dr. Gonzalez has nodded toward the whiteboard because you had this unique approach. To it was I don't know if anyone's ever seen. Um, I know which company it is that does this, but there's some company that takes TED Talks and they animate them. And so you don't see the person talking, you see a whiteboard and you see what looks like a black marker pen kind of drawing the things that the person's talking about. And it creates this big picture of, you know, a visual of what that person was describing. And that's really what you did. You created a picture of, you know, you drew the pancreas and you drew all the cells and you kind of drew what was going yeah. on and everything else. Why is that your approach? Why do you choose to kind of just d- describe it and go through the process with families in that way?
7: So I think it's just my personal choice. I'm, I'm a person that, you know, even through school, as a kid or med school, the fastest way for me to understand something and to retain it was to use all my senses, to hear the teacher while I was drawing things and actually repeating to myself. So I was using my eyes, my, my ears and everything, right? Like it's actually something you can touch and grasp on. I always try to make sure that it doesn't matter the age of the patient, if it's two, three, four, five years old, they also understand what I'm saying. I think it's not fair to just focus on the science and just explain it in a very adult, mature way, because then the kids really are missing a lot of the, that you are the most important person that we are seeing right here. So I think for kids, it's very hard if they're not really seeing something, just hearing someone it starts to be blah 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 in five right. minutes so I, try so I try to make it fun and interactive I try to put um, as much science in what I'm saying but mix it with the drawing and the colors and the sound effects and I'm not shy to those sound effects um, <laughs> I'm
6: surprised you have
7: hand puppets and <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> different just voices um, and I try to keep it up for the whole week so nobody gets like a more sad version of myself <laughs> everyone gets the funny um, and I think you know kids appreciate that you know I've seen the saddest more scared five-year-olds smile at me and if I can get a smile from one of these kids I did a good job that day I go home and I feel accomplished Um, you know I if I get families I want them to be able to express themselves to cry that day because I don't want to ignore feelings and emotions that are happening on the day of diagnosis or the few first days of diagnosis but most of the time, i able to, to kind of see in their faces, this is starting to make sense. Mm. I get it, mm-hmm. and maybe they have heard it before, but just looking at the pictures and going through kind of in a cartoon, very highly advanced scientific cartoon, I feel like everyone gets something. Yeah. Like the kids get the idea, the picture, they relate themselves about what was going on. You know, I ask some specific questions to the kids. So what's your favorite food? So they start actually interacting and it's them we're talking about. It's not just diabetes, the pancreas. It's actually you. What's your favorite sport? What is your favorite food? What is your favorite friend? And then full of boogers, you know, like <laughs> I tried it. So they started to feel like, oh, yeah, that, that was me, right? A few days ago, I was feeling bad because of that. Yeah, I was paying that much because that was happening. And now I get it. So I think for me, it's a way of explaining it for everyone in, you know, yeah, in a fun, interactive way.
6: Yeah, I remember the whole piece about food because you asked Ella, you know, what's one of your favorite foods? And uh, you did a very good job of, of not suddenly, like, just going, <gasps> when she said, oh, I like Indian food. Because, of course, we come to learn Indian food is one of the worst things you can eat as a diabetic, right? You've got the rice, you've got the naan bread, um, you've got all the fat in the curry that then shows up five or six hours later. You know, we've learned all these things, all yeah. right? But you didn't go oh, uh, okay, really?
2: <laughs>
6: Instead you're like, okay, great, okay, so uh, now i red. How many cows do you think now i red? <laughs> and I don't, I don't like that but, that, but the serious point is you didn't shut her down. You didn't say, ah, okay, well, you know, you might need to think about doing something, because it was still so raw. The diagnosis was still, you know, two days old. And the last thing she needed for someone to tell her was, okay, so everything's changing.
7: Your favorite things are not going to be there anymore.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do we eat curry once a week like we used to? No. (laughs) Have we changed from regular ice cream to halo ice cream? Yes, yes. <laughs> but um, it was really important for you to approach it that way. Mm. So, I, I i appreciate that. I actually appreciate that at the moment, and as you're recalling mm. how you work and you're reminding me of that moment, I'm uh, appreciating mm. it all over again. So, thank you for that. Oh, of course. We talked to Dr. Slova earlier, and the last question I had for him was, um, you know, your job is really it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult from an academic perspective, but it's also difficult emotionally, right? Uh, you're very vested in this. Most of the patients you see, they're young, they're children. And that makes it doubly hard. But I want to focus for a moment on the best parts of your job. So, what do you like most about working at BDC?
7: Ooh, that's hard. I, <laughs> I, I, I actually love most everything. Um, for me, I really, I really enjoy getting to know the families and having long-standing relationships. So I don't think I could have done, you know, like emergency department doctor because then, oops, in and out, they're gone. Um, I think, really? Have you spent time with my wife?
6: You <laughs> <still think. laughs> yes! Sorry, honey!
7: <laughs> of course I do. No, honestly, you know, it's like diabetes doctors have a very special place in their in their families. You know, we go through rough periods of you know, disagreements sometimes or very hard teenagers that you're like, come on, <laughs> let's do this. And they're like, what? I don't care. Um, but I see it all. You know, I see I see little kids, I see babies, I see toddlers, I, I see, um, you know, hard hardcore teenagers, I see young adults. Um, I get to know their parents, I get to know their activities, I get to know if they're failing or exceeding at school, I get to know their ups and downs. I get to see them through very rough times and then come back and conquer diabetes. So, and the other thing that is amazing for some people, they might not understand why just diabetes? Why would you only want to focus? But diabetes is is so much. Diabetes, I don't have one patient that has the same day Mm. any day of their lives. So I don't have one patient that has the same diabetes as any other patient. Yeah. So it's never boring. Right. You probably know that. At home. <laughs> yes. <it laughs> if is. if in clinic it's never boring, there's always something to change, something to do, something to adjust, something to look forward, something to erase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and forget about it. It's done. Done mm-hmm. deal. Let's move forward. So for me, it's just, um, there's so much research. There's so much interest in, you know, prevention, cure, um, disparities, new treatments, technologies are exploding. I mean, uh, we're on our tippy toes all the time and it's it's incredibly satisfying for me to be able to offer options to offer treatments to respect whatever my patients want and be kind of a supporter you know as long as it's safe and it's not dangerous I support everything Uh, because honestly you guys go home and you deal with these 24-7 365 and I see you guys every three months uh, right so I get the smaller picture but in the long run I do get the big picture Um, so I love I love the Barbara Davis because there's so much variety um they support different types of you know interest and research so we do have like a very rich environment that Every doctor here kind of has a different focus. Some are very, like, into technologies and algorithms for the continuous glucose monitors. I'm into, let's let's make sure there's no disparities. You know, even if you don't have insurance or you are an illegal immigrant or you are Spanish-speaking only, you get the best, top-notch, top-of-the-art care, and we're not intimidated by your Russian language or whatever it is that you are from. Um, And also... Respect, you know, whatever is their culture, you know. Like, if they really like Indian food, maybe they're Indian. They mm-hmm. probably not gonna go to every couple of weeks Indian food. They're gonna continue to eat Indian food, and mm-hmm. we just have to solve the puzzle. So, and the kids, of course, and the dads, <laughs> and the moms, uh, mainly the kids. <laughs>
6: <laughs> That's fair. Well, as far as my own kid goes. Um, I'm a little biased I think Ella was a remarkable young lady before she was diagnosed um, but T1D has the ability to, to derail kids right to make them worry and make them doubt and I just want to thank you for um, for being such an incredible doctor and for uh, ensuring that uh, Ella can attack this in a really courageous fashion and uh, continue to thrive. And she's doing remarkably well. So thank you for helping with that. Thanks for getting her on the right path. We appreciate you.
7: My pleasure. And she's a star and she's going to continue to be a star.
6: So this is an interview I've really been looking forward to. Because um, I'm going to introduce you now to Tavia Franklin, who is not only one of the most important people in my daughter's life when she was diagnosed with diabetes, but she is hands down one of the nicest human beings I think I've ever met. So, uh, Tavia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're Tell welcome. folks your um, your title here at BDC and just give folks a quick overview of the work that you do.
2: Yes, Hello. My name is Tavia Franklin, and I'm a certified medical technician here at the Barbara Davis Center. I check the patients in as they're being diagnosed with diabetes. I'll be the, one of the first people that they see. I get their vitals. I give them a little story of myself and tell them how long I've uh, had diabetes. Yes, I've had diabetes since I was six years old, and I'm 50 now.
6: And You wouldn't believe it, sir. You wouldn't believe it.
2: <laughs> and... I I talk to the children, I draw some some of the children's blood, and I just get them checked in and just let them know that with their diabetes, they can do any and everything that they want to do, as long as they continue to take care of themselves, and I love the Barbara Davis Center, and I love just how the technology of diabetes has so far much advanced for us. It's been a nice, nice joy, and... I just love checking in these children here at the Barbara Davis Center. It's just a nice, nice blessing and a joy for me and the children and the, all of us.
6: Yeah, I was talking about how joyful you are. I mean, you use the word joy a lot. You truly seem to love your work. I mean, you really do. And you don't call the children children. What do you call the children?
2: Precious, little bit.
6: Are <laughs> oh, you call it like a
2: little sis. Little sissy
6: Lou. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: yes, my little sissy Lou's. Yes, yes, and my little brother's. Yes, yes, I love it.
6: You know, it's um, it's so heartening as a parent of a type one uh, kiddo when you bring them to somewhere like the Barbara Davis Center, and it can be really intimidating for the kid, intimidating for the parents, but it can be intimidating for the kids. And then Ella walks in and she sees you, and you give her a hug, and you call her Sissy Lou, and oh my gosh, the smile is from oh. ear to ear.
2: Thank you, thank you. I love Junet. These are my little sisters and my little brothers. I love us from my heart and my soul. Yes, yes.
6: Yeah, well, that's obvious in, in, in the way that you engage with those kids. Um, now, you mentioned that you're a type 1 diabetic yourself. Going on 43 years, have you yeah. said? Yes, sir. Okay. Would you mind just talking to us a little about your
2: experiences
6: as a kid with type 1?
2: Yes, sir. I was I, I urinated in the bed often and on until I was 6 years old. And back in those days... Um, I had to be hospitalized for a whole week, and I remember when my mom was learning how to do learn how to do my injections. I had to learn. My mommy had to learn. Excuse me. She had to learn how to do injections off of an orange. Back then, there was no glucometer machines. Back in the day, we had to test our urine, and it was the urine was called Clinitest pills, and had to put ten drops of water, five drops of urine. And had to do that three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you got sick, then you had to do it a little bit more. Then we had to test for ketones, which is a little ketone pill, and had to go from negative, trace, small, moderate, or large. And had to put a drop of urine on the little acetone pill.
6: Wow. And that was just three times a day. So as parents now, of course, you know we're on top of our kids' numbers every five minutes, right, because of CGMs. But that was only three times a day you had kind of a window into your... Your
2: number? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Pow, pow. Gluc- glucometer testing. Well, to test our blood. Yes, sir. Didn't come out until I was like 11 or 12 years old. Right, be- excuse me. Right before high school, mm-hmm. and um, had to do a. We had to test off of chem strips. Oh, really? Yes, and had to put a drop of blood on a little bitty old Kim strip, uh, uh, strip, and had to wait 20. Uh, excuse me, not 20, two, two, two minutes. Right. Yes, sir.
6: So you've seen a lot of advances in T1D over your lifetime. What would you say have been the most significant things for you personally in terms of making your life better?
2: I love my pump (laughs) and I love my sensor. Yes, sir. I love my sensor. I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to do as many finger pokes. Right. And the sensor that I use is it's pretty accurate. So I can just look at my sensor and be like, yay.
6: Could so, you ever as a child have imagined anything like that? No, sir. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Now, why did you choose to work at the Barbara Davis Center? I mean, obviously you have a connection to, to T1D, of course, being type 1 diabetic. But why specifically did you choose to work here?
2: You know, I have really been blessed... I went to school for medical technology. I did my externship here, and then about a year later, one of my old physicians had called my mom and wanted me to work here at the Barbara Davis Center.
4: Yeah?
2: Yes. And that was a, how long ago was that? Ooh, that was like 24 years ago.
6: Wow. Bit so it's funny because... Um, I don't expect you to remember every single kiddo. Obviously, you have a lot of kids come through the door each and every day. But um, some good friends of ours, the Crafts family, their son, Kylan, big, tall lad, skinny lad, big, tall, skinny lad, blonde hair. Um, They got diagnosed a few months after Ella did. And they love coming in to see you. And Kylan's a teenager. I mean, I think he's a senior in high school, I want to say. And the... um, the impact you have on my kid, who's you know, who at the time was nine years old, and the smile that ends up on her face, as I understand from, from Tammy, uh, Kylan's mom, you have
2: the same impact on him as well. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much, I appreciate it so much, deep down in my heart and soul.
6: Now, you gave us kind of a quick overview of some of the work that you do. Would you talk a little bit more about your responsibilities here? So, what does a typical day look like for you?
2: A typical day, uh, we can get Some days we can get up to three to four newly diagnosed children being diagnosed with diabetes and just have to check those children in, uh, get their vitals. And I just always give the parents a little story of that I myself have diabetes myself and that I've had it since I was six years old and that it's going to be a while, though, but it's going to get better. It's going to get better.
6: You know, one of the things I think is most uh, be most helpful to our family, at least, and I'm sure to all of the families that come to BDC, is that not only are they getting the best physical care, but you guys also really pay attention to the mental component, the mental and emotional components as well. Is that why you're you're so open with families that you tell them, hey, I'm type one, hey, here's some of my experiences? Is it because you recognize they're struggling with that emotionally as well?
2: Yes, sir, I do. I can relate to a lot of these families. Yeah deep down I can really relate to a lot of them
6: yeah so what's your uh, we're both um, uh, we're both getting a little emotional here but um, what's your uh, favorite
2: part of working at Barbara Davis everything everyone (laughs) everybody I just love being here I don't have a problem coming to work every day I get up and this is my joy this is my joy yes well, Tavia,
6: yeah, you are a you're a joy to many, and you need to know that.
2: Thank you. So,
6: from the bottom of my heart and my family's heart, and in particular my daughter's heart, thank you so much for being um, just an amazing introduction to Barbara Davis. You were the first person that my daughter saw, and um, you know you set us on a path to uh, to my daughter being uh, successful and um, and thriving with T1D. So, thank you, thank you for your love and your care and um, just for being you. Thanks for being joyful.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
6: So, the next brave soul who's prepared to get around mic with me is Agnes Phalaga. Is yes. I said that right? Yes. Okay, very good. So, Agnes, why don't you go ahead and tell folks your position here at BDC and just give folks a quick overview of some of your responsibilities.
4: Okay my name is Agnes Ferlaga, and I've been with the BDC for now 10 years. Um, Some of my responsibilities here are um, I assist Dr. Slover, um, I assist Dr. Wadawa, Dr. Steck, Dr. Majidi um, and I kind of do a broad a bunch of Different things, um, some clinical stuff, some um, phone patient to patient, taking care of their needs if they need um, like FMLAs, sick calls and things like that. I do a lot of administrative work though, um, mostly for the doctors. Okay, fantastic.
6: So it sounds like you—it's a wide gamut. You've had a lot of different things on your plate. Mm-hmm. You're picking up everything for everybody. Right? you yes. picking up all the slack for everybody. Yes.
4: Yes. Exactly. <laughs> It's fun.
6: Good, 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 good. Well, yeah, you're keeping the you're keeping the centre ticking over, which is great. Now I am interested in the work you do for sure, but we talked off mic about the fact that um I think I think amongst my interviewees today, you're maybe the only one that has a child who's type one diabetic. I know Tavia is type 1 diabetic, but you have a child. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit, if you would, about your son and his experience and and your experience as well. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned to me you weren't familiar with type 1 at all, were you, before he was diagnosed?
4: Not at all. Not at all. Um, My son is 19 now, but he was diagnosed at the age of 9. When it all happened, I did not know anything about type 1. Um, I did know somebody that had type two in my former job. Um, and how, what happened is, um, I used to be, I used to be a mortgage broker and I remember passing the office one day and I saw her checking her blood sugar and I kind of leaned in the office and I said, what on the world, what are you doing? And she said, I'm checking my blood sugar. I was diagnosed with type two. And I said, well, how did you, how did you come about that? Yeah, I mean, how did you, it, right? <laughs> and, well, how did Almost. you, and how did you know? How did right, you know? Yeah. And she said, well, you, you're thirsty a lot. Um, you have to go to the bathroom a lot. And so that kind of stuck with me. And I remember walking away and thinking, wow, that must be, that must be rough. Yeah, And, um, Shortly after it was January and shortly after my son was drinking a lot of water and he actually wet the bed and he, he you know even even at age 9 he's never wet the bed and I would catch him in the middle of the night drinking from the faucet and after even he wet the bed and he would still use the bathroom a lot and so that kind of startled me right and I thought Okay, well, it must be from drinking a lot of water. But it, it, he wasn't extra. He wasn't outside. It was cold, so I thought that was kind of weird. And then the second day into it, I thought it was very weird. Mm. So I googled the signs, like the drinking and the bedwetting, and type one popped up. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. I was I was like, no, that can't be because we don't have any family history of it, none. So I thought. Something's got to be wrong, something else. So that's the next day I called the doctor. And we had him checked. And sure enough, it was type 1.
6: Now, were you living in Colorado at the time?
4: We were living in Colorado. Okay. Um, so I contacted the PCP, um, brought him in. They checked his glucose level, and it was like 480-something. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they had me go directly to Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then... Shortly, the next day, I was here at the Barbara Davis Center for Education.
6: Yeah, it's, it's kind of chilling how your story mirrors our own. I mean, my daughter mm-hmm. was diagnosed at and regular listeners to the show will know that. Everything you just described in terms of the you know drinking excessively, bedwetting, mm-hmm. which I had never done previously, all of that um, mm-hmm. is very consistent. Uh, unfortunately we, we ended up having an ambulance ride from the doctors to the hospital so uh, yeah i'm yeah. glad you didn't have that experience but um but we both ended up at Barbara Davis so what do you remember about that experience because i i want to transition mm-hmm. in a moment to US Barbara Davis employee, but yes. what do you remember about that experience of coming in
4: mm-hmm. um,
6: with a kiddo that was diagnosed T1D?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, it was a very good experience. We showed up on Saturday. Normally, you know, we don't work on Saturdays or Sundays, but they have the backup on call. Um, so we we came in on Saturday at eight a.m. for training. And I remember the Barbara Davis Center being so calm and peaceful and everybody being so kind. I was so scared because I really thought I was coming in for a one-time medication and then it was going to be gone. Right. I didn't realize this was lifelong. Um, I So it kind of like... I uh, wow. on a second. Yes. We need to
6: visit that a second. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. So because you had no history of it in your family, you didn't really have a, a solid understanding of Correct.
4: it. Correct. I thought it was a one-time thing. You get medicine and you're better.
6: Yeah. Wow.
4: So I didn't realize my whole life was going to change when they started talking about, okay, this is going to be a daily routine. This is what you... I was like, wait, what? mm mm-hmm. um, But they calmed me. They made me feel reassured. They said there's going to be somebody here, somebody... To guide me, that the school would be contacted with a school plan, things like that. So, I didn't feel so alone. Mm-hmm. I felt okay. You know, I think we can get through this. It was really hard for me. Um, like I said, I used to be a former mortgage broker. I I literally was so uh, so calm with the BDC that I actually wanted to work here. <laughs> and I thought, what can I do to get a job here to give back <laughs> yeah. and to help and to help my son. So then I started. I started looking for a job here.
6: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! What a, yeah, what a great story. I mean, to connect you with the with the BDC yeah. in that fashion, it's uh, that's really heartwarming. So, talk to us then about. You mentioned you have a wide range of responsibilities. What does a typical day look for look like for you here?
4: Well, I'll meet with Dr. Slover one-on-one, and some of the other doctors. Um, we'll go over their schedule, if what their meetings might be. Um, I set them up if they have any travel. Um, I'm sometimes I'm on the phone, and patients call in whether they have sick calls, so I route those calls, screen them, give them to the nurses. Um, sometimes they have you know regular, general questions that I you know answer or get a nurse to answer. Um, You know, regular administrative work, kind of on a day-to-day. I don't really do like any patient contact Mm -hmm. like they do, like the doctors see the patients. Mm -hmm. I'm more in the back, kind of taking care of their needs, their travel, meetings, things like that.
6: Very good. So, given that you're on the admin side of things, kind of closer to all the Mm -hmm. the numbers, the facts, and the figures. If you're a mortgage broker, you're you're a numbers person. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how many patients currently uh, benefit from BDC services, and where do they come from? We talked with Dr. Slover earlier this morning. I think he threw out a number of, I want to say four. It was four thousand. Four thousand. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, does that number seem? Oh, his numbers accurate?
4: Yes. His numbers. (laughs) Okay, what's yep. the makeup?
6: Where would, you say, where would you say your patients are coming from?
4: You know, honestly, f- they're from everywhere. Um, there's not one specific region, area, state. They're from everywhere. We even have some patients that come from India, Mexico City. Um, you really, as far as that? Yeah, as far as that, they'll fly wow. in just to see our doctors. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because education is that well. Because you've got, it's kind of like a one-stop shop. You've got the dietitians, you've got the social workers, you've got the nurses, you've got the doctors. It's kind of you get everything all in one.
6: Yeah, and how's your son doing now?
4: My son is great. He's on the pump, mm-hmm. and he has this uh, Dexcom. Okay. Um, every life is a little easier with the new Dexcom because he doesn't have to poke his, you know, fingers as much. Mm-hmm. The readings are pretty accurate, so. I think his life is a little better Um, by, I could say that from from nine to now, 19, I feel like the diabetes follows us instead of me and him following the diabetes. Before, when he was first diagnosed, everything, I was really scared to leave the house. I was like, I can't leave the house because he's going to have to eat. We're going to have to prick his finger. We're going to have to give him a bolus it's the times are too close to lunch i followed everything to the you know to to the t which you should however now with this many years in and working here and being able to i feel like the diabetes follows us
6: What a great distinction. Yes. Yeah. And it's really healthy to hear that. I think that's going to be, I'm so happy to hear that. I think our listeners will enjoy hearing that too.
4: Yes. It's really, I mean, I know he has it and I'm hoping for a cure. I really am. Mm
6: -hmm. You're going to be put out of work, right, Agnes? I
4: I am actually. (laughs) I actually am. I I would, I would be happy to be put out of work if they found a cure. Um, But I feel like I'm able to get out of bed and he's able to get out of bed. and And, we can take care of this on a daily basis. And it's funny because there's no perfect number. And there's no like, before I used to think, okay, we're going to if you this and this and this because this day you are your numbers were great. They were in range. But the next day he could eat the same thing and his numbers are not in range. Yeah. There's no perfect number. There's no perfect day. There's no perfect scenario. You just kind of tackle each moment, mm-hmm. each number as it goes. That's what I took from it. Don't dwell on the number. If he has a high blood sugar, don't dwell of it. Correct it. If he has a low number, correct it. See where you can make an adjustment. I always, and I'm still, even with my son being 19 and him living at home, I still don't go to bed without having a juice nearby me in case I have to run into that room. He's 19, but, you know, I'm connected to the Dexcom, so I see his numbers. Yeah. But sometimes you know they're tired. So I'm always right there. I'm always checking and everything. But I feel like life with the technology now, it's so much more improved that I feel like it's a little bit more easier. Yeah, absolutely. Mm
6: -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. That's um it's really great to hear that. It's great to hear your experiences both as an employee at BDC but certainly as a fellow parent of a T one D. So thank you ever so much. We appreciate your time today.
4: Thank you so much.
5: This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Diabetes. That's D I A B E T E E S. Diabetes. It is the brainchild of a type 1 diabetes survivor and mom who wanted to increase awareness and visibility of diabetes through cool, funny, unique T1D themed clothing. Diabetes also supports fellow survivors and fighters, with JDRF receiving a donation for every shirt sold. We need a cure, but until then, why not have some fun with our shirts and raise awareness at the same time? Check out Diabetes.com. Again, that's D-I-A-B-E-T-E-S.com, Diabetes.com, and share the diabetes love.
6: Okay, so we're going to wrap this fantastic visit to the Barbara Davis Center by talking to... Well, I'm from England, so I'm going to say BDC royalty. (laughs) In that we are wrapping up our visit by visiting with Dana Davis. And yes, that surname should sound familiar. She's the daughter of the lady who founded the Barbara Davis Centre. So we're really excited to be able to have this time with Dana. Uh, Dana, thanks so much for visiting with us. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am the executive director of the Children's Diabetes Foundation. And when my parents decided to start the Barbara Davis Center, they started the Children's Diabetes Foundation at the same time to be the fundraising arm of the Barbara Davis Center. And um, when I was first diagnosed, um, I'm sure just like so many people here, my parents were blindsided. Um, Nobody in my family had type 1 diabetes. Nobody had any idea what it was. Um, My mom knew I was sick. I was, you know, I wet my bed. I had all the classic symptoms. I dropped like 15 pounds. I was thirsty took me to the doctor, blood test. Dr. Amer brought me right over to Dr. O'Brien, who is one of the founding doctors here at the BDC. And um, I got my first insulin. And I can't remember if it was beef or pork, um, <laughs> but I was allergic to it. Oh, no. And it was really gross and ugly first insulins for all of those who are now, you know, able to have the clear synthetic It was not a pretty thing. And so, because I was allergic to one, next day I got the different, the second shot, and it was one shot a day. I mean, they gave you one shot and just, I know, he's like, his reaction (laughs) as a dad is what you have to see because, you know, so many parents now, you have so much technology, but we didn't have it. I was diagnosed
6: 44 years ago. Um, You and Tavia, who we had on earlier, you guys. uh, Is
1: Tavia's Tavia's younger than me? She used to call me her little sister, and I. I know, but I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm actually two years older than you. So Tavia's got it one year less than me, and I'm two years older than her. So yeah, she's amazing. But same thing. It was there was no blood testing. Um, there was urine testing, and even then it was, you know, test tubes, and you put the pill in, you couldn't hold the bottom because the chemical reaction would burn your fingers. And they gave you a shot. They kind of guessed what your insulin would be. And basically I think everybody probably gained like 20 pounds because they were just feeding you hormone. I mean, you yeah, were getting a yeah. shot of hormone, and then you were eating all day to do it. And everybody's like, why are all these diabetics gaining weight? But, you know. <laughs> It, that's what my life was. I didn't know. I was lucky because I was sensitive. I knew when I was low. I could tell when I was low, mm-hmm. which I guess, you know, a lot of people couldn't. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know when I was having reactions. So I never was hospitalized before for my diabetes, ever. Knock on wood. You mm-hmm. know. Um, that's awesome. Sorry, so was that more, years, more information than you wanted no, to that's know? That's amazing. So.
6: That's amazing. Well, so, no, I was thinking, well, the reason I have <laughs> a faraway look in my eye is because I <laughs> was. Wondering if you know part of the frustration in the diabetes community is the confusion between T1D and, and type two. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if you mentioned there that back in the day, type one diabetics would gain a lot of weight because of the you know, because of what you guys were dealing with in terms of medicine that was available and whatnot. And I'm wondering whether or not that, that fed into the confusion between the two types. Because, oh, that's
1: interesting. Yeah, well, I don't think everybody had diet. the same yeah, reaction that I did. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm it
6: was type two, there tends to be a um, A, a, a more yeah, A dietary component. Yeah, absolutely. Which is but,
1: a big confusion because I've been hop- hospitalized, not for my diabetes, but for my MS. Uh-huh. And when I'm in the hospital, people would look at me and be like, oh, you must have been a fat child. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, mind Why blown. Are These hospital. are like providers right. and nurses who don't even know the difference oh. between type one and type yeah. two. So, yeah, okay. sorry. No, sorry. No, that's great. <laughs> well,
6: so your your mother in particular, because, of course, yes. the center bears her name, that has become somewhat iconic within the, the, the T1D community. But at the end of the day, Barbara and Marvin, your parents, yeah. are parents. They're regular people. They're parents. Yep. So... It'd be really interesting because I think almost all of our listeners are parents. Um, talk to me about your parents and what you remember about their response to you having T1D and, and kind of those early years of trying to address it. Because you know, I mentioned to you off mic that Alan and I, our families are very different, right? The way we go about parenting T1D, it's, it's very different. So I'd just be curious to know what your earliest memories are.
1: Um, my earliest memories, I remember after I was diagnosed... Um, came home to dinner i 'm the youngest of five kids, and my parents were kind of explaining to my siblings what had happened and I remember for me the most traumatic part was that I was going to have a shot every day because I was a little needle averse at that time yeah. um, and my dad was my dad was more upset I think than my mom my dad it definitely hit my dad more I think he felt like he was supposed to protect me. And had said to my mom, just go fix it, get it fixed, um, was sort of his quote. And I think I understand so many parents and like your, your sort of outlook as a father of just feeling so helpless when your child is diagnosed and what do you do? And I definitely felt that. from my dad my mom's way of dealing with things and thank god it is was to kind of just grab the bull by the horns and take control of it and say you know what no if this isn't how things are done i'm going to create something that is so i remember we went to jocelyn clinic which was wonderful but it was really far away and where was that that... in boston okay so it's a jocelyn Mm -hmm. clinic in boston and we went and you know it, it was my first sort of immersed Feelings or experience with type 1, and I wasn't thrilled with it. I mean, clearly, as most children probably wouldn't be, but when we came back, my mom said, what if we built something closer to home, and what if we made it more family-oriented, and what if we made it so that the whole family would go. Cause when I went, I just went with my parents. I didn't go. My, my siblings didn't go. And I love that BDC has really taken it to the next step now and doing grandparents and everything else, because it is, it affects your entire family and friends and community and, and, that was really my mom's vision for it you know she definitely wanted to treat anybody no matter their ability to pay and back then all you were paying for were insulin and syringes and at that time insulin was 30 bucks it was
6: affordable it was back affordable in the day. and you that's know that's a hot topic for another uh, podcast
1: but maybe. syringes i will say were like 2 inches long like i look right. at syringes then and now and it's a whole different thing um but you know, it was to make sure everybody could get care, and she would like to find a cure. That was what she wanted, and she wanted to treat the whole family. She what wanted was her background. It wasn't.
6: She wasn't medical, was it?
1: She wasn't. My mom was super smart. She went to college at sixteen. She was an English major. Graduated in three years. Married my dad, and had a family. Wow. So, but she was always been a force. So you know, she's she's just got a lot of force to her, and yeah. and I'm really glad she did because instead of making this negative possible negative diagnosis, a horrible thing, she turned it into something so positive and helpful for everybody else. And that's where, I mean, today, I'm so blessed what I get to do, because I get to come here and see families that are touched by that, and get to talk to people and really see families not go through the negative part of things. And, you know, that makes me so proud of her. And then understanding that she did it because she knew my dad was so sad and trying to help him with that sadness. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure what to say on the back of
6: that Sorry. No, that's just incredible One of the things we were told when we were here uh, A year and a half ago One of the first things we were told was you know, When your child gets type 1, the family gets type 1 Which is to your point, right? It takes, it takes the parents and the grandparents And the siblings And uh, if you're lucky, the friends And um, everyone associated with the family um, And so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that was shared with us And I'm glad that we've been able to carry that message forward Through this podcast and just in our lives and with our with our kind of close community, and appreciate BDC sharing that with us. Now you have this remarkable centre that's helping well, helps hundreds of thousands of families over um, how many years now? It's been
1: forty two years. Okay, wow. this centre has been here
6: fourteen Fort? years okay. on this campus. Okay, we moved. Okay, what do you think that is that makes BDC so special and makes it so renowned both nationally and internationally?
1: See, I mean, when you first talked about so special, it would be the people and the people that are here and that are doctors and providers and nurses are just some of the most incredibly caring human beings. And I think it's really important for people to realize, you know, endocrinologists make no money. There is no billable procedures. I mean, they actually compared to other, um, you know, um, oh my gosh, you know, other Whatever other you
5: or, thank you yeah, other yeah,
1: disciplines yeah, that yeah. they could do where you you make money endocrinologists have no chance. So when somebody decides to become an endocrinologist and decide to be a diabetologist, or decide to specialize in this, there's a knowing that this is not something that they're going to make money from, but they do it truly because they have a passion and a love for what they're doing. Yeah, and I find that most people here are either themselves or like one degree away from diabetes, sort of diabetes adjacent. (laughs) And I think that makes it what is so special. I think it's this passion and these people are so intelligent and so driven in what they're doing um, that that can't be, you know, that's contagious. And I think then when they meet other people, that genuine sense that they have and who they are comes across and they are brilliant. I mean, I'm gonna. I think they're the smartest group of people I've ever met, and they do some amazing things. And they think out of the box too. They don't just sort of, you know, think within, just stay between the lines. And I think that's what makes them incredible and this so well known.
6: And that was the reason I wanted to do the podcast, is because that was our experience. And listeners will be tired of hearing me say this now <laughs> because I've said some variation of it in every interview I've done uh, during this episode. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you 100%. I asked Dr. Slova earlier, um, you know, what did he feel like were some of the cutting edge advances that we could expect to see in T1D uh, treatment moving forwards, whether it was in the area of genetics or uh, technology? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think here it's all of those. I mean, that's what's so cool about the Barbara Davis Center. So on each different floor, different things are happening. And there's, you know, different so there's a wet lab, there's a dry lab, there's genetics, there's technology, and everybody here has a different thing that they have a passion for. So I don't think you could pick one of what it's going to be. I think there's interesting things that, you know, there was a day that they're doing diabetes prevention day. And, you know, all of these people came in to talk about different things like vaccines and different viruses that they think actually might be the virus that causes diabetes and talking. And I think the biggest thing is there's this open communication with all doctors and providers and researchers. And that was the one thing Lori Sussell brought when she came as the research director is she didn't talk to people just within the diabetes world. She's talking to people in cancer and people that deal with Down syndrome and different people, because somewhere you can springboard off of other people's ideas. And they're not just sort of tunnel visioned, doing this, repeating sort of the same research next to each other, they're looking at what somebody else does and goes, oh, could we do that in diabetes? Would that work for us? Yeah. How do we encapsulate, you know, if you get to be here and you listen to Dr. Holger talk about, you know, he has, you can see the moment that the cell produces insulin. He can make an a cell, a beta cell produce insulin. He attaches this glowing green algae. And the moment it happens, you see it. Yeah. I mean, It's so cool. And to be around all this, sorry, it's, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but they're all doing different things and they're all talking to each other and sharing and, and, and sort of getting new ideas. And I think it's just, it's so fertile here and so full of life and possibilities.
6: I'm thinking two things as you're you're talking. So our listeners don't have the benefit of seeing how animated you are. Sorry. Which is fantastic. It's (laughs) making me think that next time I talk to you, because I hope there is a next time, it needs to be on YouTube so people can see our
1: I am. I'm sorry. I was a kindergarten teacher and I come from a New York Jewish family. So (laughs) I talk with my hands a lot.
6: I, I do the same. I okay. actually do the same. I um, Through my work, I do a lot of um, conversations through Zoom, right? Through webinars. Oh, yeah. And I'm forever throwing my hands about. and I look at myself and I go, oh my goodness, I need to stop <laughs> that. I look so animated. It's ridiculous. So, um, uh, But also, I think you have so much energy. You have so much passion uh, for the subject matter. I think it would be great to have you back on the podcast again in the future. So maybe we well, can talk about that. that. Yeah, yeah. I Not only that, but also your wealth of knowledge as well, and you're so close to everything. So that brings me to my next question, which is the work that you're doing specifically with the foundation. So talk about the foundation itself. What is it? Why is it important to BDC? What is the work that you do uh, with the foundation?
1: So uh, the mission statement at the foundation is we are the fundraising arm for BDC. So all the funds that come to us go directly to the BDC and stay here in Colorado. So we fund everything from... Um, patient support, awareness, and research. Um, and then we have a guild of about 300 ladies and men um, that also. But mostly ladies, right? But mostly ladies. But right? mostly yeah, ladies. We're changing talk. it, but we're trying but to change we it. About, right? Exactly. That's why this podcast but that's why I wanted to tell you we have four board members who are dads oh, of type
0: ones. Great, yeah. And see,
1: see, <laughs> they're in there. But yeah, we have this guild and what they do is create programs for helping hands to make sure our mission statement, make sure that all patients now can be cared for no matter their ability to pay, mm. which is crucial. Yeah. And especially now because it's getting, you know, a newly diagnosed patient, putting them on everything can be anywhere from like twenty to $25,000. And how do you make sure that everybody gets great care? Or people don't think about you're airlifted to a hospital. How do you get home? nobody pays for you to get home, Yeah, you know? So then you've got all that expense or where do you stay when your child's in the hospital? Or, so we fund that. We fund lots of research programs, which are really exciting. We have some incredible sponsors, but I'm going to say a majority of our funds come in from private individuals who right. are carrying families or, you know, and every dollar counts. It's everything from, we get, you know, a dollar to, you know, $500,000 and every dollar has the same impact. It really does.
6: It's interesting when you were talking about the ability to pay. Um, for my real job, I work in education and. I'm so, so much- sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the insurance is so bad. <laughs>
6: um, and. We talk so much, we give lip service to equity in education, right? Ensuring that every child in this country has access to the same high quality education, whether it's in a, a public, a private, a parochial, a charter, you know, regardless of their, the neighborhood they come from, the color of their skin. And it is a conversation we should be having. It's interesting that conversation doesn't extend to healthcare.
1: And it should, because yeah. it's the most important part. Because you should be getting the same health care as everyone around. It should be the the top health care. You know, we were just talking upstairs in our board meeting that it's been capped in Colorado at $99. And that all three of the main um, pharmaceutical companies have thrown in and said, okay, we will give coupons for that. Dylan Roberts was a guest on our show okay. a few episodes back. So, you know, that is something and that's what we have to work towards is making sure that, you know, one person isn't paying 30 bucks and somebody's paying $300 for the exact same thing. It's just, it's ridiculous, especially when it's something that's life-saving. I mean, it's not a question that you need it. And that if it's between Lantus or Traceba or whatever, because I, I, I don't pump. I do poor man's pump. I do Lantus because okay. I love Lantus. I'm a <laughs> Lantus person. Um, but, you know, some people don't do well with one or the other. And and somebody else shouldn't be telling you which insulin works best for you. That should be a choice. Right. And that's, we were just discussing that upstairs. Okay. Sorry.
6: Yeah, very topical. <laughs> very good. So I want to circle back to the yes. this, this, the financial support that you got. So you, you, you made an interesting statement, which is, uh, as much as half, maybe more than half of the funding that you get in the foundation comes from private individuals. So, of course, your corporate sponsors are really important. Talk If you were talking a bit more detail about kind of those two groups and the importance of them.
1: Well, it's important to have, clearly it's important to have corporate sponsors because they do, you, you know, it's sort of bang for your buck. You get one person who can bring in what opposed to private would be, you know, maybe... Right. You know, twenty or thirty people maybe you can get in one person, but it's also the awareness and I think it's our partnerships with corporate sponsors. So when we have a corporate sponsor, it's not just financially how they help us. They also will have different programs where they volunteer, they'll do matching programs. So I feel like a lot of our sponsors do a lot more than just financial. Um, and that's what's really crucial to fundraising is you need that you need to be a good partner. You need to, to share in we try to bring something to our partnerships cuz we do you know we have this amazing center and doctors and knowledge and trying to share that with a certain partners especially corporate partners it's our ability of wanting to really get awareness out there it's just or just about money. it's not just about money and that's what's great. I mean, when and, and with our, our individual sponsors as well, you know, a lot of times it's not just their money, but it's their time that they give and it's their help and it's their ideas that we need, yeah. you know, because yeah. we're, a, we're a small little team and, you know, any new ideas we'll
6: take, so. <laughs> small but mighty. So how it's, would any listeners get engaged with BDC and then kind of provide some of that financial support?
1: Absolutely. So if you want, um, you go to foundation.org and you push on the donate button and you can pick exactly what areas you would like to donate to the BDC. That's cool. So you can decide if it's research, if it's, you know, um, patient care, you can pick specifically what you would like your money to go to at the BDC. And then we make sure that it comes here and, and they use it.
6: All right. Fantastic. One last question for you. I haven't asked anyone else this. Okay. Several of my questions have been recycled because they apply to different people. This is one just for you. Oh, good. Tell us something surprising about the Barbara Davis Center, something that folks might not know. Surprising about the
1: Barbara Davis Center? Oh, my gosh. That's a good one. Um, okay, I've got it, maybe. Oh, yeah? Okay. yeah. All right. So the logo for the Barbara Davis Center and the Children's Diabetes Foundation was sketched by my mom. And she created the logo because she saw it was a child going around the carousel of life and reaching for... At that time, they did really still have brass rings, reaching for the brass ring. So my mom sketched the logo.
6: Wow.
1: And it's still like eight feet tall on the building right now. So...
6: (laughs) That... uh, that That's actually... That's fantastic. That's maybe a little (laughs) more emotional than I expected, actually. Oh, that's so sweet. That's really, really wonderful. That's wonderful. Danny Davis, it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. It's been so great. Thank yeah, you for thank fitting you so me much. in. No, of course, absolutely. It's been a wonderful, wonderful day of interviews. And, um, you know, when I think about the Barbara Davis Center, and I think about really good care facilities across the country, I know that Alan and, and, and Leslie and their family are really happy with the one they have in Louisiana. Awesome. And I think about those things that define uh, those centers, those organizations. Yes, the healthcare is top-notch, but it's more than that. It's the compassion. And every single person that our family engaged with here at Barbara Davis felt that. We, we knew we were getting the best health care, but we also knew that um, there was an enormous amount of compassion and sincere care uh, from the individuals that we, that we met with uh, every time we came here. So thank you for fostering that culture. Thank you for the Barbara Davis Center. Please thank your mom on our behalf. I will. I'll call her. And uh, um, hopefully we can talk again.
1: I would love that. Thank right. you.
6: So I'm sat here at the car rental place, just returning my vehicle here at Denver International Airport before I jump on a plane and head home to Austin, Texas, after a really great afternoon at the Barbara Davis Centre. Just some great conversations. And I want to give a shout out to Regina Reese, who wasn't one of our interviewees, but who coordinated everything and made it possible for us to even spend that time with those folks at BDC. So... Uh, huge thanks go out to her she did a great job and I think she did a great job of lining up a really good slate of interviewees who gave us the opportunity to get a sense of kind of all aspects of uh, BDC certainly the you know folks who worked there who weren't represented but I think in the five interviewees that we got we got a pretty good well-rounded sense of what the uh, BDC is all about um, how they do business and how they look at their patients and the families of their patients and what it is that they're trying to achieve the kind of support they're attempting to provide Uh, and i have to say i I continue to be just hugely impressed by the barbara davis center it ended up being weirdly emotional for me i didn't mean for it to be although regular listeners to the show will know that it takes nothing for me to get choked up um, when i'm talking about my daughter or type one but you know this is the uh dads and diabetes is the fourth podcast that I've been involved in in doing and producing and whatnot I've never ever got teared up on any other podcast regarding any other subject ever um and obviously this one is inherently emotional but I didn't think I'd have that degree of emotion going back to BDC but that first day that we were there you know the memories of it came flooding back as i said at the beginning of this episode um but then you know meeting particularly with dr gerard gonzalez and with tavia uh, everyone that we met with today has had a positive impact on my daughter but most of them indirectly uh in dr gerard gonzalez and tavia Franklin, you know those are people who uh customer facing if you like they they were they were folks who had an, an enormous impact on my daughter and how she understands t1d and how she sees herself as somebody with t1d she considers herself capable of doing anything she considers herself empowered and she is determined to thrive she's not going to let t1d slow her down and in large part that's down to how those two women in particular. Addressed the topic when they first met with my daughter and continued to do so every time we were there. So, yeah, there were a couple of times I got a little choked up. I'm sure when I listen back to this, I'm going to be shaking my head thinking I sound pathetic, but I don't know what to tell you. Um, It was, I mean, just having access to those folks learning more about barbara davis center about the history of the center and about the care that it continues to provide folks to this day you know 42 years after it, it launched it's really incredible it really is the most remarkable thing so i just hope that all of you listening uh, to this episode enjoyed it first and foremost found it informative and i hope you have access to the same kind of healthcare, to the same kind of endos and, and medical specialists and people who should be caring for your kids not only caring for them from a medical standpoint but also having that compassion sincerely caring about your kids and your families and wanting to help you live your best life if you don't then maybe reach out to the barbara davis center as you heard they have folks from all over the country all over the world who go there so maybe that's an option for you i don't know but either way i hope you enjoy getting this insight into BDC. And um, as you heard from that final interview with Dana, I think we're going to try and maintain a relationship with them. Maybe have Dana back on the show every few months, just get some updates from her and certainly share some insights into the world of T1D that maybe some of us don't have because of her relationships um, with various sponsors, her relationships with some of the tech device manufacturers, and so on. So hopefully we can have her be a part of our show on occasion moving forwards anyway i have to go and catch my flight uh so again hope you enjoyed the show and uh, i think this is the first show of 2020 i think that's what we're going to try and do so here's to an amazing new year